0: Uh, but anyway, God bless you. It's a joy to be with you here uh, this week and looking forward to what God has in store. The Lord has uniquely burdened my heart for us to go to Psalm 51 this morning in the Sunday school hour. And uh, I am so sorry about that, sister. Um, I didn't realize that was your phone there. God bless you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Praise the Lord. There's uh, definitely uh, prayer cards in the back table. Please grab one of those and pray for us as we do crisscross the country uh, 10 plus months out of the year in full-time evangelism. Our hearts burn for America. Uh, we're certainly in a mess as a nation, uh, but the fate of our nation does not rest in the hand of the infidel. It resides in the hands of God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will God hear from heaven and forgive sin and heal our land. And uh, we just preached out of that. It'd been probably six and a half years since I'd preached out of Second Chronicles seven fourteen. such a wonderful text. Uh, but we preached out of there on Wednesday night, And Bible Baptist Church in Maryville, California, uniquely burdened of the Holy Spirit to preach from that text, not knowing till after the service that the pastor had just preached out of that same text a week prior. Amen. I love how God dovetails things together. So it was kind of like a a one-up, you know, the the sense of we're tag teaming back and forth and assisting each other there, but that was wonderful. Uh, but you know, as we'll see even this morning, uh, revival doesn't come, and even a restoration in society doesn't come, when the world gets right with God, but rather when God's people get right with God. And we see something wonderful here in Psalm 51. This is a chapter that I pray through every single day, if not a couple of times a day, as I personally need this a challenge from the Word of God. Of course, this is a text where David had committed sin with Bathsheba, and committed adultery, and even murdered her husband, and participated in covering up sin, all these different things, and how it brought great ramifications to his own life. But when he was confronted by the man of God, Nathan, and he realized, David realized, the great transgression and error of his way, his heart was broken. May God give us soul anguish again, and brokenness over our sin. As you keep your finger in Psalm 51, this is our text. We're going to go to a couple of different passages of Scripture this morning uh, by way of introduction. Join with me in the book of James, if you'd be so kind. The book of James. And keeping your finger in Psalm 51, the book of James. Hebrews, James. James, chapter number 4, James 4, verse number 8. James 4, verse number 8. I'm thankful for this passage of Scripture. It says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Aren't you thankful for that this morning, church? That God always desires to have and ever close relationship with his children, an ever-increasing relationship that we can enjoy with God. What a tremendous blessing, but also to realize that we are a flaw, that we are sinners, that as a result of the waywardness of our flesh and the wickedness in our lives, that these things needed, they need to be repented of. As you read verse number eight and verse number nine, there's no flippancy here. There's an absolute intensity, there's a fervency, there's a heart that is absolutely consumed with the transgressions of what have been committed, and there is a great desire to get right with God and to restore this relationship that has been hindered. The Bible says, not only an external cleanliness, but an internal cleanliness. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We see the body and the heart and the mind being addressed here, and may the Lord help us to be clean in these things. Just because someone may look clean on the outside does not mean they're right with God. Do you realize that even though sin is not visible in this room, it doesn't mean that sin is not present. This room, literally, it could be me, it could be you, I pray it's none of us, but it could be filled with people that are so far from God. Our relationship with Christ has deteriorated into a display, a performance, a form of godliness There's no genuine pursuit and passion for a wonderful, close, intimate relationship with God, but rather things need to get right. And that's being addressed this morning in the Sunday School Hour, even here by way of introduction in this text. And Notice verse number nine, he says, be afflicted as we commit sin. and, And when we do give into the flesh and the spirit does not win victory and Christ is not living through us, when when we do commit sin, we transgress against the Lord, be afflicted. This word afflicted means to feel wretched and miserable about our sin. I know this is a lot of heavy preaching just right out of the gate in Sunday school. May the Lord give us a sense of sobriety and sincerity. That America is in great need of a church that's radically right with God. Pure. Radically passionate about the things of God, radically pursuing the work and the will that God would have us to be engaged in. And no longer are we going through the motions of formalism or ritualism, engaged in religious activity, performing it in the flesh, but rather we see the need is dire. We see the hour is growing dim. And now more than ever, God is looking for vessels unto honor, sanctified, meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. We know this morning, we all know this, that God can't use dirty vessels. He wants to use us. But our sin and self-centeredness oftentimes renders us unusable. A castaway, the Bible says. That we become a life that God looks at understanding full well our purpose and our potential. But these things cannot be enacted upon because of that hindering thing, which is called iniquity, which is called sin be afflicted, and mourn. The reason we're here in James 4 is because this is what we find in Psalm 51. He was afflicted. He felt wretched and miserable over his sin. He mourned. He grieved. This word mourn means to grieve as to have lost something or someone precious. We'll see that through our text here in just a moment, that he mourned, he grieved, he wept, weeped to sob and wail aloud a brokenness, and anguish of spirit and of soul. Many times we want the laughter and we want the joy. But do you realize that these things, the laughter and the joy, these are fruit of revival. In order for us to enjoy the fruit of revival, we must let the Lord plant the root of revival. And the root of revival is repentance. The fruit of revival is rejoicing. Many times you come into a meeting, and I don't say this in any negative way this morning, uh, and we should have joy. But joy is something that only God can give, not the world, not the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy is something that God gives that the world cannot give and cannot take away. But genuine joy that comes from heaven is something that cannot be manufactured. Revival is not something that we work up. We try to bring things about through boisterous singing and all of these things. And I believe that we should sing from the heart and we should sing with every ounce of every fiber of our being because he is worthy of receiving that offering. Just because we're trying to laugh and have joy doesn't mean that we'll have revival. Rather, the opposite must take place. We must mourn. We must become heavy. And every single revival movement of history that you study was always born out of people in desperation and with a great desire, turning unto the Lord and seeking God, becoming broken over their sin, realizing they have strayed and they've grown backslidden even in their relationship with God. They've lost that perspective of the Lord having great preeminence in their life and no longer God was of great essential value to them but god was just in the lineup of things and they became broken over these things in various aspects that could be discovered this morning and studied this morning concerning revival but it was always born out of soul travail and anguish of spirit realizing we need god and i need god and i desire god and we will stop at nothing until we receive god and that blessing from heaven Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. That's what Psalm 51, really, the whole chapter is about. Where we come broken, we die die to self. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, having said all these things this morning, let's transition back to Psalm 51. Thank you for being so attentive as we took a moment to go to that text. Psalm 51, I distinctly remember the last time I preached this message probably eight years ago, nine years ago. Um, I don't remember the date, but I remember the time. It was a Sunday night at Pastor Lewis Horton's church. Remember that? Emmanuel Baptist Church, Decatur, Texas. It was in that meeting that God knit our hearts with one of our greatest prayer warriors, Craig Shaw is his name. It was in this message, in that meeting, God just breaking loose in the church, very distinguished church, but God just breaking people and God doing a great work in their midst. For some reason, a strong pulling of the Spirit for us to begin this whole meeting right here in this text. Psalm 51, let's read it now. The Bible says, have mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God. This is a prayer, a genuine heart cry. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly, from my iniquity. What do we see here? Someone that desires to not get cleaner, but someone who desires to get clean. We're not just tidying up the rooms of our heart and our life, but rather, God, as we see even the heart cry in a different text, but by the same man in Psalm 139, Search me, O God. Know my heart, my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I don't want to do that which is right in my own eyes. I don't want to engage and indulge in the lust of my flesh, live my life how I want to live it. But God, I pray that if you see anything, expose that. Please forgive me of that. Blot it out. Oh God, wash me truly from my iniquity. Now what's iniquity? And we're going to now transition to this handheld microphone here. Thank you, Brother Wayne. Iniquity is this. It's sin. But the specific context, we all know that, but the specific context of the word is someone who understands the difference between right and wrong, but ignores in doing what's right and decides to purposely do the wrong anyway. That hits me right between the eyes and right in the middle of the heart. I know in our flesh, well, no good thing, but as God's people and as children, we can understand the difference between right and wrong. Why? Because we have truth We've got the Word of God, and thank the Lord that we have it. Amen? And as we open to the Word of God, and I pray that every single day, that when you do, you study God's Word, and you read, and you meditate upon God's Word, there's the teaching of it, the preaching of it, even this boot camp, if you will, of revival services, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, all these services that we are here gathered together in, that we have a heart's desire that craves, as testified in Psalm 119, Open thou mine eyes, and it may behold wondrous things out of thy law. God, help me. Help me to grow. And sometimes growth can only be brought about through pruning and purging, where God takes the things that need to be trimmed out of our life. It's a painful thing, but that we would be willing and we would allow God to do that work of grace Why? Because he desires to transform us more into his image. And as God's people, we understand the difference between right and wrong because we have the Bible, and thank the Lord we do. But many times in my life, I find myself knowing what's right, but still doing what's wrong. You know, by the way, the Apostle Paul struggled with this, didn't he? Romans talks about this, where he says, the things that I wish I did, I find myself not doing, and the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall give me, and I paraphrase, who shall spare me of this? Who will give me victory through this? Thanks be to God. God can give me the victory over my besetting sin. God can give me victory over my body. God can give me these uh, victory over these things that are weighing heavy in my soul, like weights trying to keep me back from living for Jesus Christ. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. It's interesting. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, I can see it upon most of the lips here, they're quoting it, the Lord will not hear me you realize that we can pray for revival and we can pray for moved mountains? We can pray for miracles. We can pray for the touch of God and the inundation of his spirit and his presence to flood upon dry grounds that we are in desperate need of today as pictured in the word of God, the outpouring of God in our community. But it's literally a waste of time if I have sin in my life. And this is not a novel concept. This is something that has been preached by many revivalists throughout church history, even picking up old books from men. The mid-1800s, they understood that if we are not thoroughly right with God, not just getting cleaner, but getting clean, that we have a desperation and a desire, a heart cry a determination as found here in the life of David through Psalm 51 and taking this passage and applying it to ourself. Oh, God! When's the last time that we were broken over our sin? our carnality, broken over the compromise in our life in which we've let things slip over the years and we have justified it, whitewashed it, and excused it away thinking it's not that ba- big of a deal, it's not that bad. May the Lord encourage us this morning and may God exhort us this morning and edify us, build us up this morning and also bring conviction where it's needed and not touch it if it applies to your life or mine but say, oh God, thank you. That you care enough about me that you will convict me. That you're serious about this thing, and I, I need to get my head screwed on straight, and I need to be serious too. God, help me. Purge me. Cleanse me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleaner. No. Clean. It's interesting, and if you'd leave your finger here, or maybe a bookmark there, and join with me to Isaiah, chapter number 59. Isaiah 59. Verse number 1, verse number 2. Isaiah 59, verse number 1, verse number 2. We find a similar concept here. Verse number one is one of the verses why I still believe in national revival. God doing a great work in global evangelism and reaching every single person with the gospel in our lifetime, which I believe that that's absolutely humanly possible. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Praise God for that promise. Church, may I just say briefly and in passing, please grab a hold of this verse and claim this in your life. And as you have for many years, continue to cling to it. We can cling to and claim God's word because God will always keep his word. There's much substance and sustenance to that verse number one. But in context of what the Lord would have us to observe this morning in this Sunday school hour, verse number two is where we're trying to get. The Bible says, but but, and thank the Lord for verse number one, however, understand very realistically, but your iniquities. Me, understanding the difference between right and wrong and then ignoring, doing what's right and doing the wrong anyway. Your iniquity have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he, what church? Cannot hear. Is that what it says? Cannot hear? Will not hear. There's two, there's two, two different principles here. Cannot hear means you're so far gone and backslidden. I'm trying to read your. I'm not meaning to point at anybody. Sorry, I'll point over here. <laughs> Amen. We'll just go ahead and uh, that was unintentional. But you're just so far gone and so far prodigal that I can't read your lips. Draw an eye to me, and I'll draw an eye to you. And then as you get closer, I'll be able to understand what you're saying. That's not what the Bible's saying or your sins have hid his face from you that he he cannot hear. Rather, the Bible says, will not hear, which means God refuses to listen. This is is a big deal. Well, no, yes, yes. You're being a little too radical here. No, I'm just being a common-sense theologian. The Bible says it. I believe it. The Bible says it, that settles it. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He refuses to listen to even one single syllable that I may utter before him, God, please, I need this, and I desire revival, uh, so on and so forth, all various things that we could consider in our prayer life, in our life of prayer. But if there's sin in your heart, in your mind, in your body, to realize these things hinder the hand of God from being able to pour, be poured out in the fullness upon your life, and ultimately upon those around you. You think of the sin of Achan, how that one man who purposely knew it was right, but did wrong anyway. How this brought great grief to God. And as a result, the whole multitude could not experience victory, but there were casualties even in the consequence of his sin. There will be fallout and ramifications in my life and in yours if we indulge in things that we should not do and refuse to get right with God about and keep covered and keep engaging in. I'm thankful the Bible says in 1 John, there's so much to this. We're just scratching the surface in the Sunday School Hour, and we're still trying to get into the message um, and things. But 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sin, or we, it's exposed to us. And after it's been exposed by the Spirit of God, thank the Lord for that, it's addressed, it's acknowledged, it's dealt with by the hand of God. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The prayer of cleanse me throughly, purge all of these things throughly from my heart my life, oh, God, it's possible because God has promised you that it is. Thank the Lord, amen? To God be the glory. We can get the victory over this, and we can also get up and go on and live another day and go forward in our life and experience the Lord uh, doing a work. And there's so much that can be said concerning this, but I pray this morning that the Lord is giving us a continued sense of sobriety and sincerity, a soberness concerning these truths that we would not be flippant about getting right with God. And as we've already said, a precursor to many great moves of revival in yesteryear were always born out of a genuine heart of repentance. People turning back to the Lord and seeking God again. And even though a community was reached, it did not begin in the hearts of the infidels. It began in the hearts of God's people. I want to share with you a story. I put this in my Bible just in case the Lord would let me tell it. And he has given me that green light. And everything that we're saying this morning, trying to be very hypersensitive, I mean that, to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There was a great revival in the Hebrides Islands of Scotland in 1949. There were two dear women, silver saints, that were sisters. Miss Peggy was 84 years old, and the other, Miss Christine, was 82. One was blind, and the other was, was humped over so bad with a spinal stenosis that she walked, you know, arched over like this, you know. And both of them were invalids, shut-ins but they were consumed with a passion for revival. They wanted God to truly work in their small island. And Isaiah 44, verse number three, which we might get into tonight if, if God continues to lead in that direction, as one of the texts that we'll observe, Isaiah 44, three, grip them where God says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon dry grounds. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon that offspring. They were so burdened that both of them decided to pray on their knees from 10 o'clock at night until 3 or 4 in the morning. There's two old women in a very humble cottage. But you know their fire spread. Their pastor, James Murray McKay, became unusually burdened for revival as well. And he especially was burdened for the youth because not a single young person attended church in the whole aisle. He went to go visit these two ladies because he knew they were faithfully praying for a move of heaven. He began to express his burden as he visited them, and, and, uh, you know, he was already trying to tackle it, you know, through different means, but nothing was working. And he asked these two ladies, point blank, what do you think we should do? Miss Peggy, the blind one, shrewdly looked over into his direction. Now, she's blind, so she's, if you've ever had a a, a blind individual uh, look at you, their eyes are in the general direction. Miss Peggy looked toward him and asked, Pastor, in that Scottish brogue, have you tried God? You've tried special missions and programs and preachers, but would you join us in prayer for two nights a week? He agreed that he would. Soon, other local church leaders began to join the three of them, hungering for the outpouring of God in their community and for revival to come to their isle, the Isle of Lewis. The small cottage living room became too small to hold the prayer meetings. And so they met in the old barn out back and continued to pray for over a month and a half. These ladies could be heard crying out Isaiah 43, excuse me, Isaiah 44, three and four over again and would declare, God, you're a covenant keeping God and you must be true to your covenant engagements. I like that kind of bold praying, amen. One night, this is what we're trying to get to. As this handful of believers faithfully gathered again, kneeling in the barn, pleading God's promise for the outpouring, a young man got up, opened his Bible, and read from Psalm 24, verse number 3 through 5. Let me quote the verses. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Doesn't that sound familiar from James 4? And who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Not someone who's lifted up with pride, but someone who's humble. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Then, without saying a word, he slowly closed his Bible and hung his head low. After a moment, he looked at the pastor and others around him in brokenness. His heart was overwhelmed, and he said, It seems to me to be so much humbug to be praying as we're praying, to be waiting as we're waiting, if we ourselves are not right with God. He then lifted his hands above his head and cried out to heaven as if the barn rafters were not there. Oh, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? He couldn't pray any further. He fell straight to the ground like a man knocked out cold. He lay on the ground so deeply touched by conviction. What happened next is hard to describe is the presence of God that they had been panting for for over a month and a half. The presence of God flooded the barn in such a sweetness. They all began to weep with hearts broken over sin. They too were gripped with holy fear and godly conviction. That night, the man, the men began confessing their sins before the Lord with no holding back, no pomp and circumstance, no piety. And they fully surrendered their lives to his service. The power of God that broke out that night in the barn swept through the church the following day. The whole congregation was suddenly awakened to the reality of our righteous God the following week. Very little work was done on the farms, in the factories or in the shops. Men and women of the church found themselves drawn to prayer. Everyone was gripped by thoughts of eternity. It was apparent that God was beginning to move, and he did. Within two weeks, a host of souls throughout the region were saved. Even in one instance, some of the young people who had trusted Christ and surrendered their lives to, to the Lord boldly walked in to a weekend youth dance. And the presence of the Lord was so strongly felt that the young people dancing stopped and fell to the floor in prayer, and a great many of them were born again right there on the dance floor. God was on the move. Sinners became broken over their wickedness. It was even a vast ceasing of any and all behavior that did not bring glory to the Lord. People forsook drinking and other sinful habits. Taverns were permanently shut down. Churches were packed. And before I mention this, If God could do it then, God can do it today. May our lack of faith not hinder God. A sin of unbelief. But A heart of doubt, but rather, may the Lord help us to realize that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he could do it then, he could do it today. If bars could be shut down, God can do it now. If churches can be slam-packed, not for the glory of men, not for the advancement of some sort of offering, but rather for God's glory and the sake of the church to go forward, charging the gates of hell and the gospel to be exalted and preached and magnified to every house and home in our community. May God do a work. The movement began when one Christian was willing to radically, genuinely, thoroughly get right with God. Nothing held back. This is what it will take for us to see revival in our land today. Wash me throughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. What do we see with all this? We're almost through. We've got about nine minutes, I'm presuming, that we need to end around that 10.45 uh, time or space. What do we see? You could jot it down, a prayer of repentance. Does that consume you every single day? If I was to wrong one of you, if I was to grieve you, I'll just use the pastor. I know the pastor. If I was to do something to hurt him, to grieve him, and then... Uh, Sometime later, whether it was hours or days, I realized what I had done was wrong. And I came to him and said, you know that when I said or what I did, my bad. We're good, right? Let's hug. God bless you, brother. The flippancy of that bears no genuineness or brokenness. Rather, if I was to grieve him, I would be broken. And I would come to him in humility and say, Pastor, I, I am sorry what I said, what I did. Forgive me. I'm not justifying it. I need forgiveness. I shouldn't have done that. Would you please forgive me? Not coming in a flippancy, but in a fervency. A heart that desires for restoration and reconciliation. For a relationship to be repaired and refreshed and renewed. To be rekindled. Could it be that when we come to the Lord asking God to forgive us of our sins, you know what I did a couple weeks ago or a couple of days ago, a couple hours ago? My bad, we're good, right? Oh, Jesus, I just want to be hugged by your presence. Are you serious? Am I serious about this? But rather a brokenness. Oh, God, what have I done? I've been saved for 30 years. I can't believe I said that. God, forgive. When's the last time that you, I, we were broken over our sin? None of this being said this morning is to back anybody into a corner. I'm not trying to put anybody on defense. But all of us need to very re- realistically and authentically and thoroughly meditate upon this because it's biblical. I desire to see God do a work in our country, in our community for God to shake the place. As Acts uh, 4.31 says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken to experience the shaking of God and the outpouring of God. But it always begins with repentance, a prayer of repentance. Let's continue to read in our text very quickly. The Bible says, notice in verse number three, for I acknowledge my transgressions. I cognizantly address this and say, yes, I have done it and my sin is ever before me i can't bury it i can't hide it can't forget about it i'm so consumed that i can't believe i did this in my life against thee the only have i sinned and done this evil in thy sight a prayer of repentance Notice this genuine heart cry continues in verse number 6 very quickly, just scratch, scratching the surface. Behold, thou desirest what, folks? Would you say it aloud there? Truth. Do you see that in verse number 6? Behold, thou desirest what? What is it, church? Truth. Where? In the inward parts. God desires his word deep within us. I love what the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse number 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. You realize that when God's Word is in us, it shields us from iniquity. The very sin that will hinder God from being able to move, listen, uh, and work, that, that Word of God that we have. And, I, that's, it's so, and the, multi- <laughs> the Word of God is multifaceted. And where do you even start? Where do you even stop talking about this? I love, and I read this this morning in my devotions, and this helped trigger some thoughts. And Jeremiah, just listen, as I mentioned, Jeremiah 23 was the chapter I was in this morning. Jeremiah 23, verse number 29, the Bible says, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaketh a rock in pieces? We'll see more of an emphasis concerning the hammer breaking rocks in pieces in just a moment, but that first statement and question gripped me, Is not my word like a fire? The word of God, as he testified a few chapters previously in Jeremiah 20, verse number 9, I will not make mention of him nor speak any word in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. The word of God like a fire, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Psalm 39, verse number 3, the Bible says, while I was musing, or meditating upon the word of God, the fire burned. God give us people that are on fire for God. And that fire only comes through his word, and through he himself. The Bible says, and notice the particular wording here very quickly. I don't want to lose anyone uh, by speaking so fast, but listen carefully. Verse number six, behold, thou desirest God. You want truth in me. Now, I believe the reason he prayed this is because in his own life, He understood what God desired for him and he wanted it for himself too. God, I acknowledge this. I see how that you desire your word to be in me. Of course, that word in us will shield us, but it will also stir us. And God, you want me to be shielded from the sin and the iniquity that quenches you and grieves you, that hinders you, that holds you back, that cuts off the revival and the miraculous and the supernatural. God, God, you want me to be stirred as a Christian, a fire ignited down deep within my bones that cannot be stayed. God, you desire this. We see, I believe, number two, a prayer of resolve. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. God, you want it in me, and God, I want it in there too. Church, I pray that God would help us to have a result to stay faithful to this book, that we would not quit from this book, we would not be careless with this book, but rather we will continue to bury it down deep within our hearts, that we would not become complacent toward this book, but rather understanding just as I needed it when I first got saved, I need it now more than ever. First Corinthians 10, verse number 12. The man who thinks he stands, take heed lest you fall. I'm concerned there's a lot of people that are knowledgeable about the Bible, filled with the head knowledge. But the heart is not resolved for it. Well, I've been doing this for however long, and God bless you. Thank the Lord for your faithfulness and the legacy of that testimony. Praise God. But as I say, as much as I can say it many times, just in personal conversation with others, we must be careful. Because as soon as we think we're good and we lose the resolve, that's the first step to catastrophe. If you or I think, I've got this, we're standing for Jesus, we ain't going to compromise, we ain't going to quit, I'm good. Take heed, the Bible says, you better pay attention, lest you fall. The I've arrived mentality is an enemy of revival. Honestly, the more you grow in grace and the more you grow in your relationship with God, the more you realize the more you need Him. <laughs> so if we've got things backwards this morning, things need to be addressed in our life and taken care of before it's too late because it's going to be a detriment to this church. And God desires to use this church. Don't you be a stumbling block. Rather, a prayer of resolve. Lord, I want it to shield me out. Lord, I want it to stir me. A prayer for revival. Let's just continue to read here. Uh, he says in verse number seven, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Thank the Lord. Uh, he says in verse number 20, uh, verse, where are we at? Verse number nine, verse number nine, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. A prayer for revival, O oh Lord Jesus. Do this renewing and restorative, this, this reconciliation, this refreshing work, Lord. I need this within my life, a prayer for revival. May the Lord help us to pursue revival. Once we get right with God uh, and resolve to pursue the Lord, I believe revival comes, and that's the right progression of things. Notice now also in verse number 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Hold me with thy free spirit. We see number four, a prayer for rejoicing. For rejoicing, God, I've lost the joy. I need that joy again, joy that only you can give. God, give me that joy about your work of grace, how that you save me. Help me to not lose that in the same pep in the step I had when I first got saved. I've lost that. God, please bring that back into my heart. A prayer for rejoicing. Notice in verse number uh, 13, the Bible says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. We see a work of uh, rejoicing concerning the work of grace a joy uh, for the witness of the gospel. Uh, listen, when we go out and go soul winning, there's, it should bring great joy. Maybe we've lost that joy in being witness bearers. Listen, what a tremendous blessing that we get to be a part of sharing hope with the lost and dying world. Uh, verse number 31 talks about his tongue singing aloud of his righteousness. Verse number 15, how that his mouth is showing forth the praise of God. And may God help us to find joy again in his work of grace in our witness of the gospel, in our worship of his greatness, even in our walk with him as we are guided by the way. Show forth, God, as I'm going around in my life that it would be something evident, something obvious when people are about me and they interact with me. There's something that cannot be hindered or kept. It's my joy that you have given me. And here in conclusion, verse number 17, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, Thou will not despise. All this here from verse number 16 to verse number 19 is talking about and alluding to a prayer of relinquishment. God, take my heart, my life, and we may get more of this this week, and please, I yield it to you as a sacrifice, and I want you to take the very, listen, essence of my existence and break it down into fine powder, where there once was substance and now there is this but silt. He's talking about a mortar and pestle here. Y'all know what that does, right? It takes compounds and things and it grinds it into fine powder. Are we so yielded and surrendered and willing to God this morning in our life that we will let God take anything from us and let him grind it down to fine powder? question needs to be asked to every single person in this room at point blank, are you fully surrendered and dedicated and yielded to God's will? Well, I live in such a way that I I didn't ask that, and God is not either, and I'm not being disrespectful. I'm treating you like a father. Are you fully surrendered? Because God will not be able to move in a great way as he, as he desires. If all of us are not fully committed and yielded, take my life and let it be want. Take from me, I will gladly give it. Father, use these truths, these various aspects of a genuine heart cry. Lord, we need this, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of resolve, a prayer for revival. And toward that, oh God, create and restore and renew and refresh all these things that we observed. And Lord, I know we didn't give it justice, but all of this this morning, every single moment of this message has been a mere scratch on the surface of the wonderful, wonderful, refreshing truth that we've been able to take time to study. But Lord, we need this. I pray that all these things would be just but bullet points, so to speak, for us to ponder as we go through the day today and even this week and the years to come, Lord, that this would be something that governs our life that we would have a genuine heart cry unto thee for a prayer, a prayer, an urge of repentance, resolve, and for revival, for rejoicing, O Lord, of relinquishment, completely giving ourselves to thee, being a living sacrifice. Lord, bless this church. Thank you for its faithfulness. Help us this week with the truths that you'll have us to study. We're grateful for this time together. Help us. We need you, O Holy Ghost. Please have great liberty. And fresh anointing upon the next service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.